Amen. Well, I invite you to uh, turn with me in the book of praise to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 45. That can be found on page 559. And we're on Lord's Day 45 today, which is a new section on prayer. And so there's some introductory teaching here on the topic of prayer. And so I'll read uh, all of Lord's Day 45 if you want to follow along now. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give His grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask Him for these gifts and thank Him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by Him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed Himself in His Word for all that He has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord, as He has promised us in His Word. What has God commanded us to ask of Him? All the things we need for body and soul, as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord Himself taught us. What is the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Martin Luther once said that prayer is the hardest work of all, a labor above all labor, since he who prays must wage a mighty warfare against the doubt and murmuring excited by the faint-heartedness and unworthiness we feel within us. How many of you have ever struggled to pray or struggled to know what to pray or how to pray. Well, I'm sure then what Martin Luther said resonates with you and perhaps even uh, what the disciples said when they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. We can be thankful that they asked that question and even more we can be thankful that the Lord taught them and us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, which you'll be studying in the weeks to come. Uh, But uh, today, we'll start with the basics of prayer, Uh, the why, the how, and the what of prayer, and we'll follow those three points, Uh, why we pray, why we need to pray, uh, how we should pray, and what should we pray. We'll spend most of the time in the first two questions, Uh, but first, consider why we should pray. And really, there's two subpoints here that our catechism gives. Uh, we should pray 
uh, to express gratitude and to receive grace. To express gratitude and to receive grace. So the first reason is gratitude. Our catechism speaks of prayer as the most important part of our thankfulness to God, which God requires of us. In other words, children, what are, you, what are you supposed to say when somebody gives you a gift for your birthday or for Christmas? You're supposed to say thank you to that person, right? Uh, especially if it's an expensive gift, uh, a gift you've always wanted, a gift you, a gift you love. Um, also, if you weren't expecting a gift, maybe, you, maybe you've been bad lately, and, and, but somebody still just showered you with a gift. Uh, you say thank you to that person as your mom and dad teach you. In those moments, saying thank you is a natural response to receiving a gift that we're truly thankful for. And this is how we're to view prayer as the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. In other words, this is one way that we say thank you to God. Of course, we've been through the Ten Commandments already, and that's another way we show our thankfulness to God is by walking according to His commandments in gratitude. But we also tell Him thank you in prayer. And remember that the topic of prayer is in this gratitude section of the Heidelberg Catechism. And I think that it is really important that we recognize and emphasize this aspect of prayer, that prayer is thankfulness. It's important to be thankful when you pray and to express gratitude in your prayers. It's thankfulness that arises as a response to a previously received gift. And God has already given us everything that we need for body and soul ultimately in Christ. He's given us complete forgiveness. He's given us Christ's perfect righteousness once and for all in our justification. He's adopted us as His beloved children. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell us forever and an eternal inheritance in Christ. And His promises cannot be nullified. He has bound Himself to us in a covenant of grace and sealed His covenant with the precious blood of His Son. And nothing will ever separate us from His love for us in Christ. And so prayer should be motivated by gratitude for such amazing grace towards us, such amazing grace that saved a wretch like me and you. And praying with thanksgiving is so important uh, because it's, it, it functions like a shield against anxiety in prayer. Uh, there's a well-known verse in the Bible on prayer that you're probably familiar with. It says in Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And it's important that we don't miss that little phrase, with thanksgiving. I think often when we think of that verse, we often forget about that little phrase. And typically, just think of it in terms of, you know, if you're anxious, you should pray. Pray and ask God uh, to perhaps take away your anxiety, to calm you, and to answer your prayers. But we forget about that little phrase, I think, with thanksgiving. And it's very important to remember to pray with thanksgiving as we battle against anxiety with prayer. How so? Well, you see, thanking God for past and present blessings, it tends to cast out fear and fuels confidence for the future, right? If you think about it, as you remember how good the Lord has been to you in the past and how many times He's heard and answered your prayers supremely in your redemption in Christ, but also in all the many 
times throughout your life He has delivered you through troubles and gotten you through them, strengthened you through them, even molded you more into the image of Christ through them. As you reflect on that, it, it, it drives out that anxiety. It, it fuels trust and confidence that He's, gonna, that he's still with you. He's going to hear you. It helps you to thank Him in prayer. It, it causes you to humble yourself once again under His mighty hand, casting all your anxieties upon Him, knowing that He cares for you today just as He has always and will always in Christ. So don't neglect that aspect of thanksgiving in your prayers. Uh, prayer is not only the chief part of our gratitude, but it's so, such a vital part of our prayers in order to cast out anxiety. And so why should we pray? Uh, to express gratitude. And then secondly here, to receive grace. In the words of the catechism, because God will give His grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask Him for these gifts and thank Him for them. In other words, He gives grace to those who ask. And uh, this could be common grace blessings such as food or clothing or shelter or wisdom, or it could be redemptive grace blessings such as an increase of faith and hope and love. And even a cursory reading of the New Testament shows that prayer is effective. So, for example, in Luke 22, Jesus says to Simon Peter, He says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus assures Peter he's safe, he'll be preserved because I have prayed for you, Peter. In Acts 12, when, when Peter was in prison for the faith, uh, the believers prayed earnestly for Peter's release. You may remember this story, Acts 12, Peter's in prison, they're praying earnestly for him to be released, and you know what happened? Well, while they were praying, while they were praying, an angel of the Lord freed Peter. And so what does Peter do? Well, I'm, he walks to their house where they're praying, and he knocks on the door, and uh, they're so busy praying for his release that they send a servant girl to answer it, and she opens the door and, ah, you know, almost runs off back to them and is telling them, oh, Peter's here, Peter's here, and they don't believe her at first. They, that, it's almost too good to be true, right? But finally, they go to the door and discover there he is, there's Peter. God had answered their prayers. What a, it's kind of a humorous story, right? Um, but it's just a wonderful illustration uh, that prayer is effective. God hears our prayers. James 5 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so why pray? Uh, to express gratitude and to receive grace. But sometimes we still might wrestle with a, 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 why, a why question here, and it goes like this. If God knows everything and sovereignly ordains all things, why should we pray? He knows all things. He sovereignly ordains all things, so why bother? 
Well, for several reasons. First, we should pray not so much because prayer changes God, but because prayer changes us. You see, God is sovereign, and nothing will change His sovereign plan, but prayer changes us. It's not so much that prayer brings God's will into conformity with ours, but that prayer brings our will into conformity with God's. As Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. Secondly, even though God is sovereign and knows all things, we should pray because God sovereignly works through means. There are times when God works immediately where He doesn't use any means within the created order to accomplish His will, but God doesn't always work that way. He likes to use means. He uses a a preacher to preach His Word. He uses common elements of bread and wine and water in the sacraments. He sometimes does miracles to heal, but most of the time He uses medicine. And the same can be said of prayer. God doesn't need prayer, but He delights to use prayer, just like He delights to use other means. And so, God, yes, He ordains the end, but He also ordains the means to that end. And one means He uses is prayer. And thirdly, why should we pray? Simply, simply put, Jesus tells us to pray. As we read in Matthew 7, He says, "'Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a, a serpent?' If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? In Luke's gospel, he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Children, how many of you, when you ask your dad for a piece of bread when you're hungry, are given a rock? I mean, that would just be absurd, right? That's so silly. Or how many when you ask your dad for a bowl of cereal, he gives you a bowl of bugs. Here, eat that. Or you ask for a, a present for your birthday or Christmas, and he gives you a, a boring old stick. Play with this. We didn't have toys like you in my day. Take this stick here. Right? Jesus, children, teaches us that if our own fathers know how to take good care of us, Our Heavenly Father knows how to take care of us even better. And Jesus teaches us to ask our Father for all that we need for ourselves and for others, for both body and soul, for His glory and the good of our neighbor. So children, bring your prayers to God and know that He's a good God. And He will give, He delights to give the good gifts that His children need for body and soul to those who ask. So why should we pray? To express gratitude and to receive grace. But secondly, how should we pray? Well, here the catechism gives us, in question and answer 117, three ways for how we should pray. Uh, Three ways. We should pray truly, we should pray humbly, and we should pray confidently. So truly, humbly, and confidently. 
Notice it asks, first, the first answer to this how, asks, how does God want us to pray so that He will listen to us? And the answer is, first, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed Himself to us in His Word, asking for everything He has commanded us to ask of Him. In other words, pray truly. Prayer is to be offered sincerely from the heart and according to the truth. So sincerely from the heart and according to the truth. And I think we all tend to fall off the horse, the proverbial horse, on one side or the other here. One side, on one side, some of us perhaps have our doctrine down and know how to pray orthodox prayers, but we just go through the motions, tend to just go through the motions. It's kind of like this. Have you ever driven... Have you ever driven somewhere in a part of town that's just so familiar to you? You know, you're going to, your, to grandma's house or you're going to uh, the, the, the grocery store and you just, you know the route so well and you drive there and you just on autopilot, right? And have you ever driven somewhere and then you got there and just had that moment where you think, how did I even get here? <laughs> you can't even almost remember the, the route you took. You were just on autopilot. You know, sometimes I think our prayers, sadly, can be that way. Uh, We almost go into autopilot mode as we pray sometimes. And when we're done, we can't always remember exactly what we said. And I think this can be, this can be, it doesn't have to be, but it can be a tendency uh, with written and memorized prayers. Now, I certainly don't believe that it's wrong to use written or memorized prayers Uh, After all, Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, and it's good and appropriate to memorize it and to even pray the Lord's Prayer in both public and in private worship. And at some of our meals as a family, we uh, pray a a table prayer together with our children um, that says, come Lord Jesus, be our guest and let these gifts to us be blessed. Uh, May our souls by you be fed ever on the living bread. Uh, that's Martin Luther's table prayer. I grew up praying that prayer. But I remember as a kid, sometimes I would just rattle it off and not really even give it any, any thought. So there is that danger there, not that you can't use those prayers, and they have a good use. But we need to guard ourselves from just mindlessly reciting something without it coming from the heart. We have to guard ourselves from just rushing through it to get it over with and, and get to the meal. Or go on to the next thing that's on our minds. God's not pleased with that kind of prayer. Jesus Himself railed against the Pharisees in Matthew 15 when He said, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when He said, This people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. And so when it comes to prayer, we must pray truly from the heart, as our catechism puts it. On the other hand, some of us tend to pray what may seem uh, to be some of the most heartfelt prayers, but if they aren't according to the truth of God's Word, then God isn't pleased with them either. And so our catechism goes on and says that we are to pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed Himself to us in His Word, asking for everything He has commanded us to ask of Him. And so prayer must be to the one true God, right? There are a lot of people in this world who pray, but not everyone prays 
to the one and only true God. For example, there's national prayer ceremonies where people of all different religious backgrounds join in prayer to some generic God or life force. And this isn't prayer to the one true God. As Christians, we pray. We're to pray to the one true God who has revealed Himself in His Word, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in essence and three in persons. Our prayers ought to sound Trinitarian and be Christian prayers. If, if you pray a prayer that a, a Muslim or a Jew can say amen to, it's not a Christian prayer. We pray to the one true God, our triune God. We pray to the Father, through the Son, through Christ, our only mediator, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we don't pray to Mother Nature or eternal love or a higher being or a law or our ancestors or some other false god. And when non-Christians say things like, you are in my thoughts and prayers, it's a nice gesture, but if they don't have faith in Christ and know the one true God, their prayers are ineffectual. As Psalm 145 puts it, the Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. In truth. And so praying truly means we pray from the heart to the one true God. It also means that our prayers must be according to what God Himself has commanded us to ask Him in His Word. So, 1 John 5.14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Right? We can't ask for stuff that are, that's sinful. That's not according to His Word. We must pray according to His will. And how do we know His will? Well, we study His revealed will in His Word. God reveals Himself to us in His Word. We get to know His character and desires in His Word. And so if we want to know what we should pray for, we need to know the Bible better. We should be praying God's Word back to Him, reminding Him of His covenant promises to us in Christ with thanksgiving and asking Him to fulfill His promises to us. One of the things that's helped me in my Christian life is meditating on the Psalms. These are wonderful prayers of all kinds, both praise and lament and thanksgiving. All kinds of prayers in the Psalms and, and all kinds of emotions in the Psalms which teach us that, that God can, 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 that we can you know, pray when we're angry, we can pray when we're frustrated, we can, we can um, pray when we're sad and sorrowful, and we can pray when we're joyful and, and thankful, and the Psalms teach us how to pray those emotions to God in prayer. John Calvin once said that the Psalms contain an anatomy of the human soul, of all the parts of the human soul. And so study the Psalms and, and pray the Psalms and sing the Psalms as you do. And, and also, I've also been helped especially by Paul's prayers. There's some wonderful prayers of Paul in the New Testament. I encourage you to study those, pray them, and learn how to pray. So pray truly, but then also the, we should pray humbly as the catechism goes on in answer 117. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. We must pray humbly. 
when we pray, we must never forget that we are entering into the presence of Almighty God. And this is why Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to address God as our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Right? Prayer is a great privilege, even greater than being in the presence of the prime minister or the king of any country. This is the, we're entering into the presence of the king of the universe, the king of kings and Lord of lords. And so we must always pray with reverence and humility, recognizing, as the catechism says, our need and our misery. Our misery, this word misery, of course, is a word that comes up in the beginning of the catechism, right? Our misery was discussed in the first part under the guilt section. Our misery is that we are sinners, worthy of God's just wrath. But because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been forgiven of all of our sins and declared righteous through faith alone. And we must never forget this truth. When we pray, not only are we approaching the God of the universe in prayer, we're also approaching Him as those who were formerly His enemies in rebellion against Him, but have been reconciled by the precious blood of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we need to be afraid in the sense of a, a servile fear. This simply means that we need to have reverence for our God in prayer and approach Him in humility. Pride should have no place in prayer. The prophet says in Isaiah 66, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The Pharisees, as you probably know, were proud and took prayer for granted. And they thought they had kept the law and were thus worthy in and of themselves to pray to God. But in Luke 18, Jesus powerfully illustrates what it means to pray humbly in contrast to the Pharisees. In Luke 18, it says, He told this parable to some who had trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank You that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And Jesus says, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And this is what it's like to pray humbly before God. It's to pray with the attitude of, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, this man knew his need and his misery. He knew that he was a humble creature and that God was his infinite creator. And he knew that he was a sinner and that God's mercy was his only hope of redemption and blessing. 
If we have only one prayer to pray, it probably can't be better than that. I mean, doesn't that basically sum up all of our prayer requests? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so, how should we pray? We pray truly. We pray humbly. And next, we see that we pray confidently. We pray with a humble confidence. As our catechism puts it, third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord as He has promised us in His Word. And so Jesus wants us to be humble in prayer, but also to have confidence when we pray. And so He mentions another example of how uh, not to pray in Matthew 6. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You see, the Greeks and the Romans, they often had long prayers where they recited a long list of names of their deities, hoping that one of them would pick up the call, as it were, pick up the call and and answer them. And they would just babble, 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 on and on and on, right? Since their gods were not all-seeing, not all-knowing, or all-loving, they were never sure if they were being heard. And so, their prayers sounded more like a mantra where they prayed the same thing over and over again and did whatever they could to get the God's attention. You can think of Elijah when he battled the prophets of Baal, and you see this. They're illustrated when the prophets of Baal, they're cutting themselves and babbling on and on, trying to get Baal's attention. People today do the same thing when they are desperate, uh, perhaps with cancer or on the verge of bankruptcy. They pray these desperate prayers, God, if you're up there, right? They never pray, ever. But all of a sudden, they're praying, God, if you're up there, answer me. I'll do anything for you. And they just perhaps babble on and offer up some superstitious kind of prayer. But this is not how our Lord teaches us to pray. Jesus teaches us to pray as a beloved child of God being assured that He loves us in Christ, not doubting His love for us. James 1 verse 5 encourages us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. James says, don't feel like when you pray like you're, you know, Maybe sometimes we feel this way, like we're just wasting God's time or that He's too busy to care about us. James says, no, don't, don't pray like that. Don't pray like He's going to reproach you and say, oh, that's not a big deal, you know, quit wasting my time. No, He says, pray with confidence. God loves to give wisdom generously to all without reproach. And so ask in faith and not with doubting. Now, you may be thinking, but what if the answer is no? All right, sometimes we pray these prayers and we're, what if the answer is no? And, and sometimes we, we, we've been praying the same thing for a while and it seems like the answer is no. And how do we respond to unanswered prayer? We don't have time to go into a big 
response to this. But the, I'll give you this. The best thing I've heard on this, uh, I appreciate how Tim Keller put it in his book on prayer. He said this in, the, in how we deal with unanswered prayer. He says, God either gives us what we ask or He gives us what we would have asked if we knew everything that He knows. God always gives us what we ask, or He gives us what we would have asked if we knew everything that He knows. Think about that. In other words, we need to trust that we are in the good, loving hands of God who so loved us that He gave His Son for us on the cross, and we are in the infinitely wise, all-knowing hands of God. And so let us trust His good and perfect will and His perfect timing, even as we continue to wrestle with unanswered prayer and keep bringing those prayers to God. So how should we pray? Pray truly and pray humbly and pray confidently. But what should we pray? Third, notice our catechism teaches us here what we should pray. And this is a just a brief point because this will be elaborated uh, more fully in the Lord's days to come. <clears throat> but notice question and answer 18, 118, what has God commanded us to ask of Him? Everything we need for body and soul as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord Himself taught us. Right? In the Lord's prayer, we learn from our Lord Himself that it's good for us to pray that God delights to our prayers for body and soul. We are body and soul creatures. We have, and so that means we have physical needs and we have spiritual needs. And because we have physical needs, Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And this is an example of that it represents physical needs in general. And so we should pray for food and drink and clothing and shelter and a job, for healing and for whatever physical needs we have. God cares about our bodies, and He will one day raise us bodily from the dead. And so pray for physical needs for yourself and others, and pray with hope in the resurrection of your body on the last day. And Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to pray for spiritual needs, for His name to be hallowed, for His kingdom to come, for His will to be done, for forgiveness and for strength against temptation and for deliverance from all evil. And so we should pray for these and other spiritual needs. It's good to pray for comfort, for security in Christ, for hope in Christ, for peace in Christ, for joy in Christ, to pray that we would have a greater understanding and assurance of God's love. And so God provides for our needs of both body and soul, for our physical and spiritual needs through prayer. And so we need to pray for all that we need for body and soul, knowing that God hears us. And we need to pray not just for ourselves, but for others as well. Notice we pray, Jesus teaches us in this Lord's Prayer to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. You ever think about that? He, he could have said, this is how you should pray my Father who is in heaven, right? Give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me my trespasses and so forth. It could have just been all me and my and I. And you can pray in that language. We see that in the Psalms. 
But he thought it important to teach us to pray, our Father who is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, to encourage us to think of others in prayer, to not only think of our own needs, but to remember we are one body. When one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. And so you're encouraged then to pray not only for your needs for body and soul, but also the needs of others, not only in the body of Christ, but in the world as well. And so these are the basics of prayer, the why, the how, and the what. And you'll be digging deeper into these things as you work through the Lord's Prayer in the weeks to come. But until then, let us put these things into practice. Let us pray with thanksgiving. Let us pray truly and humbly and confidently. And let us pray for all that we need for body and soul, not only for ourselves, but also for others. And let us trust the promise of Romans 8.32, that He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Amen. Well, in response to God's Word, I invite you to turn with me in your psalm books now, and we'll uh, stand to sing hymn number 66, hymn number 66.